So we're in Colossians chapter 3, I believe. Or did we finish chapter 3? By the time at the end of the chapter, only Floyd and David and I were discussing last week. So one of you might remember where we let off. Well, I remember we sort of tipped into the next chapter. I know where we are. You said you wanted to review Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, We stopped at verse 17, and I didn't go into wives submit to your husbands. (laughs) So we need to reread verses 12 to 17 in order to have the context for wives submit to your husbands. That's a commandment I can't obey in any case. Who would like to go first to read? I don't normally ask for volunteers, but I'm in a mood for volunteerism this morning. Yeah. Okay, Susan, you haven't been with us. That's good. Which verse? 12 to 17, chapter 3, Colossians. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Any comments or observations or questions about this passage? If we just lived by that, Ed, (laughs) the world would be good. (laughs) And Ed would be out of business. (laughs) <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> thank, thank heaven, Ed, where you no longer have a career. In yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, how did you translate chapter eighteen, Gene? I mean, uh, verse eighteen. Oh, you want to jump into wives submit to your husbands? Well, the remedy says wives submit to the Christ-like leadership of your husbands. <laughs> That's an addition to what the Bible says. <laughs> Well, I think that everything that precedes this applies to that. And I'd like to walk through this. If the wife and husband are holy and loved, this applies to both husband and wife. If they have both put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If they are both tolerant with each other, if they both forgive each other, as God the Lord forgave you, if they both have love for each other, and they both have the peace of Christ that controls their hearts, and they are thankful, then they can teach and warn each other with wisdom. And the way they do it isn't by telling each other what to do, but by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So they both have to do that. That's how you submit. 
the the thing if you go to the parallel passage in Ephesians where Paul says wife submit to your husband it has before it submit to each other submit to one another hmm. so who submits to whom and and that's why uh, wives submit to your husbands in a way that is appropriate in the Lord which means God comes first and husband comes second and then Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And then it addresses the children. Well, Jane, the world, of course, following uh, man's design of power and control, they've really misused the adverses for ever. They have. They have. And uh, I think what Dr. Jenny said with saying, submit Christ-like leadership of your husband's would include all of what you've just said. Right. But I'm not sure that it really means leadership. It means mutuality. Well, what, was, what would be the Hebrew or the Greek translations? Well, it is submit. But in other places, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it uses the word head not as leading, like we use the word head, there's a different word for head in the Greek, and that word means source or word, um, and it, you come from the head. You're, you're tied to the head, but the head is not bossing you around. That's a different Greek word than Paul uses. If we put all of Paul together, I don't think he means leadership here. I think he means mutuality. So why wouldn't they write it that way? Why wouldn't it be? Because I don't think they had uh, Greek terms that would provide that. I mean, the term mutuality, I don't think that exists in Greek. There were standard household codes in Roman law, and uh, the patrias, the patriarch of the family, controlled the lives of everybody under him. It's, it's before um, they developed their... Um, democracy system of governance the individual families were all ruled by the father the father had the right of life and death over the wife the children the slaves the servants and so uh, this is a highly patriarchal society um, and Paul is writing to the Christians living in this society giving them a Christian model of how to do family life in this highly hierarchical society. And so um, differences between the Roman household code and what Paul is saying, Paul almost flips it on his on its head. And we're going to come to that um, uh, actually at the very end uh, of the passage here when he talks about it, but I, I guess I won't go to that yet because we're still in the middle of talking about it. But, but basically the Roman father even controlled the lives of his adult children while he was living. He had absolute power over all of them. And so we don't follow this as a Christian model today. I know Christian households that try to, take a very fundamentalist view of this passage and follow it to a T. And I think they're actually following 
uh, a Christian adaptation in a certain context that may not actually reflect what the Bible uh, is uh, truly talking about when it comes to relationships. And we've also met lots of uh, couples, including, you know, Darius Yankovic and his wife and many other um, people at the seminary um, that practice mutual submission in marriage and not this hierarchical model because they actually feel that that's more biblical. But uh, going back to what Paul was doing, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely true, and that's the way man's laws are set up. But he, working with the people that he traveled with and the Christ followers, there were all kinds of Roman rules and Jewish rules that he overturned very specifically and very directly. Mm-hmm. So I've, this always confused me why this area suddenly then he starts changing the tone a bit to sort of get by and okay, Roman, because, say the because, Roman dominance. Because the Roman rule was submit, period, and it, to a leadership model, uh, patriarchal model. So Paul says, okay, submit to your husbands in a way. It qualifies every single thing that the Romans did right. in a way that is appropriate to the Lord. In other words, this has to resemble Jesus and what he came to do. Okay. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Yeah, it, he's, he's overturning this. Children, obey your parents and everything because this pleases the Lord. Parents, don't provoke your children in a way that discourages them. But, but by the way, um, I don't want you to get upset with the Roman uh, rules and regulations where you guys are living today, so... I'm going to throw in the word submit. I don't know. I just don't know. You know, I didn't live in that time. I don't know that time. What came to my mind, I remember them uh, slaughtering Caesar. And lots of rulers have been slaughtered and poisoned by their wives, all kinds of things. But that killing of Caesar was a total destruction of the Roman Empire because of what you just talked about, the patriarchal system. And that played out through generations and the destruction of Rome, you know, the Roman Empire, and eventually the Eastern Empire in Constantinople. Um, I don't know. I just wonder. I guess it was so tantamount at that time that he had to use the word submit. Well, let, let's go to Ephesians 5. I want to show you something. Mm-hmm. It's a parallel passage. Verse 19 is very similar to the verse that we read in Colossians, uh, of just the chapter 5 of Ephesians. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to the Lord for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to each other out of respect to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The husband... For example, wives should submit to the husbands as if to the Lord. A husband is the head of his wife, like Christ is the head of the church. How does Christ rule the church? Well, he doesn't control it. Right. I think when we're uh, discussing this, as far as the you know, submission and leadership and power and, and whatever, we need to come back and, and, and just, uh, this is within the framework of how Jesus has demonstrated what how the proper usage of 
of power or authority or whatever it would be, and that he always leveraged whatever uh, authority and power he had for the betterment of the people around him. And it was not for his own personal betterment. So that when Paul comes here and when he's using his language, that that is the, the framework that he's looking at that, okay, if you, if, if you're in a position where you are the person in charge, well, this is how, you know, look back to the way Jesus used his authority. That's how you use your authority. Exactly. And that, and I think as far as Ed, what you're saying, well, why didn't he just blow up the whole thing? I kind of think, I, I wonder if that would have, I mean, the, the, the Christians within Roman society were already, uh, they were persecuted. They were looked at as being these, uh, you know, rebel. Re- rebel, these, and had really strange things. And that if, I think if that, that might've been just too much uh, and to have just said, Hey, there is no hierarchical authority or whatever. So he says, okay, we can live within the structure, but we just have to say, okay, how are we going to work this? And that we can use this structure as long as we're still operating by godly principles of that everything's motivated by love and for the uh, whatever is in the best interest of the people that you have influence on. And that so we don't have to throw out that system and just have one more reason for the people to say there's absolutely no reason to even consider what these people have to say. Well, that, that makes, you know, that makes sense. And uh, then with the other verses where he then qualifies all that about how man and woman should treat each other, husband, wife, and how people and everything. So he deals with it in a He's like, you can he did it in a diplomatic way at the time. Yeah. Uh, he, his way of submission has nothing to do with what the what Roman way of submission meant. Right. And that parallels exactly how they related to slavery, because if Christianity came out and totally denounced slavery and tried to eliminate it entirely, it was too much shock. Uh, the world just wouldn't accept it. Right. And, you know, and that lasted all the way down to a hundred years ago. And some people. Well, actually, it's still know. going in other parts yeah. of the world today. And in other places that it may not be slavery in the strictest sense, except that if it's an economic slavery, it's still slavery. And so there's still a lot of people in the world who are either literally or economically slaves. Yeah. So he goes on to. Um, Slaves, obey your masters on earth and everything. Don't just obey like people pleasers when they are watching. Instead, obey with a single motivation of fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for the people. Because why? If you if you focus on the people that are mistreating you, you're going to get caught up in this maelstrom of abuse um, and be down, put down. But if you're doing it for the Lord, that gives you your dignity and your value. Did you get that from him? Well, you're probably right. And that makes sense then, the chapter about uh, obey your husband, because he's really telling the slaves to really be Christ-like. Mm-hmm. So you don't just say praises to your masters. You generally care for them. You generally love them. You generally do your work. Uh, it's a perfect example of, about <laughs> that kind of situation where how you're supposed to respond <laughs> The Bible doesn't take slavery to task and say it's it's evil. 
But if you read, if you do a, it takes a two-step process. If you take the Ten Commandments and you first map out the seven commands that have to do with our relationship with God and the seven that have to do with our relationship with other people, and then you do a chiastic structure of each of those seven and you do it mutually so that you can see the parallels at the same time as you see the chiasm. The chiastically, you shall not serve them, meaning the false gods, parallels you shall not steal. If you put those two together in the light of the ancient Near East where all worship was slavery, hmm. the Babylonians all believed that they were created by the gods to be their slaves. This is in two myths, um, Atrahasis and Enuma Elish. And it seems to be permeates through their literature, their hymns, their uh, prayers, and so on. If you take that as the, as the high point, it's the actual middle point of the chiasm, the peak point of the chiasm, then you have, you shall not be slaves to false gods, and you shall not steal people to be slaves. Which would suggest that the high point of the Ten Commandments is anti-slavery. You have to know, you have to see that parallelism in, in the text and then map out the chiastic structure in order to see that. So I, I believe it's in the, embedded in the Ten Commandments. And that's why you, the prologue is, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land, of, out of slavery. Therefore, don't be slaves and don't sell people for slaves. Well, in that sense, our whole relationship with the Lord is he's trying to bring us out of slavery mm-hmm. to, to heal us. So everything about us is probably a slave issue and a healing issue. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And really, submission has been interpreted largely in a slave mentality. I mean, hierarchy is really the whole system of slavery at different mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. And God never invented hierarchy, despite what a lot of people believe. You know, that hierarchy is an entirely foreign to the kingdom of heaven, I'm convinced. And, and slavery is the epitome of hierarchy. Certainly the hierarchy we know. To me, understanding these principles is so freeing because what God wants is everything to be voluntary, everything to be our choice. That's, that's what he's into, not in, I want to say submission, <laughs> but um, since Paul uses that word, not in any way, Compelled. Not, not compulsory com- submission. Right. Um, not compulsory submission. There you go. Right. Which, uh, which isn't, if it's compulsory, it really isn't submission. It, it's. <laughs> you know, we've had this discussion with students at PUC. This generation that we have now doesn't seem to question it as much. But in previous years, and not terribly long ago, students were up in arms about having required worships how can you worship when you're required to worship (laughs) they said 
But now they just sit and play on their cell phones so they don't care anyway. They're just sitting there on their phones. So it doesn't matter where they are because that, that's their dummy to keep them happy. Yeah. So what good does it do to, you know, I think what is, is more helpful on campus is for student, small student groups that are led by students to get together in their dorms Absolutely. and talk together. That's, that's where it really is at. Paul, to finish this, this section, you know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. So now Paul says submission to one another is not service, slavery. The only slavery is service to the Lord, and he doesn't compel anybody. Okay, so now where are you now? Are, are we I'm back? At, I'm Colossians? at uh, verse uh, 23, 24. Okay. You know, maybe it'd be a good point to touch on somewhere else where Paul talks about, you know, God setting up Jesus to put everything under his footstool, and then when everything is in subjection to Christ, then he himself will subject himself to the Father. Uh, people use that as the ultimate argument that, yes, God operates in hierarchy, and the hierarchy is the Father, the Son, the, the man, the woman, all the way down, and, and for anybody to question that is rebellion. You know, so what kind of submission is given to Christ, and what kind of submission does Christ give to God if it's not hierarchy? I would like to use, this is, this is scary for me to do because I hope it doesn't <laughs> make you feel like I'm really off the beam, but I would like to use as the, okay, so I'm going to use as a metaphor for this marital intercourse and the reason i say marital intercourse is because i don't think there's the kind of sexuality that god created apart from marital intercourse but of course marital has to be qualified has to be a healthy marriage okay so in a healthy marriage there are two partners and they does one submit to the other or do they both submit to each other it's all, it's all of that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to take turns and then sometimes it's just the both. I mean, it's... So, I don't, we don't think of that as hierarchy. Now, those who do are really ruining the whole beauty of what God ordained to be sexual intercourse. But to me, that's the closest I can get to understanding what model... Paul is following here. I'm trying to remember who it was that I, I was reading. It's been years ago now. I don't know if it was Packer or someone. Anyway, that, when he was talking about the Trinity, he was referring to it as being this eternal divine dance of how the Father serving the Son, the Son serving the Spirit, the Spirit serving the Son, that you know, each one you know, just weaving back and forth, finding ways to... to to serve this triune relationship. And so that it was just kind of this in and out of just back and forth and in and around and, and a very fluid sort of situation that I think is kind of along the lines of what you were talking about there, Gene. 
I looked it up to see who said it. Apparently Richard Rohr is really promoting this, but I don't know that it's original with him. It's not original to him. It comes from before that. But, uh, nonetheless, I'm actually surprised that does sound like something Packard. that you talk about. I, I uh, am surprised if it was Packard, because he's a... Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't I don't remember who it was, but it was someone from that generation. So when when it talks about everything being brought subject under Christ and then Christ making himself subject to God, it makes more sense if if you see that the hierarchy is problematic, that Jesus is the mediator. So he he steps into creation in a way to display the truth about God's love. Mm -hmm. So because God's love is fatal if you come into his presence and you're out of tune with it. Not because he's angry, but because it's just too powerful. So Jesus comes down and he draws as many as possible to synchronize with love within him and then when all the decisions are made and everything is sorted out and everybody is in him now it's safe to be completely reunited with the father completely plugged in to the full measure of power safely and and that is what is called submission but it's not a submission of there's no fear involved and and you know the problem is submission and subjugation are always associated with intimidation fear all those things and none of that exists in the relationship with god exactly if it if it does exist we're worshiping a false god yeah. anything else before we move on to four, chapter four actually i'm not sure we should move on to chapter four because um, most of this isn't theological. It's just Paul talking to the people in the church. Um, so we could move on to First Thessalonians. Just say something about um, the idea of submission of children. I think any wise parent knows that the kind of submission that you uh, want from a two or three year old or four or five six year old is different from what you might ask for a 12 or 15 or 18 year old and that gradually over time you're not wanting the child to just be there or oh, what do you want me to do now you know submit obey type relationship but you're wanting the child to grow and mature and develop their own identity and make their own choices. Yes, you stay in the relationship, but um, the idea of submit, obey model, even the way we kind of blanket approach it and say, well, let's not apply it to husbands and wives, but, well, God still requires it of children. Um, if we see how that relationship develops over time, a wise and good parent doesn't require that absolute submission from their 18-year-old or else we don't allow that person to grow into the person that they need to become. And so if we look at that model and apply it to us uh, as Christians, not that we move away from uh, this idea of obedience, but the idea of submission 
just moves into this most beautiful relationship where early in my Christian walk I was trying to figure out well, what do I need to do to become a Christian and how that looks different from my life beforehand and the choices I make and how I conduct my daily life. Now it's less about focusing on those things um, but enjoying and growing in the relationship and so I don't even think of it in terms of submission or obedience. I want to know God more. I want to explore because he also helps me to be the best person that I can become. So this whole model, I mean, if we just have this black and white view that we apply to marriage and children, we're just missing out on the whole, I think, scope of the beauty of this relationship that we are to have with God. Yeah, I'd like to nuance uh, how we deal with children on the younger uh, ages, particularly early, very early ages, one and two, maybe three. Um, Because I read a most incredible statement by Ellen White. She was telling a story how she was in the same room with a woman with a little, little child, very small child. And the little child had grabbed something to play with that was not really appropriate and the mother tried to get it back was resisted and so she gave what Ellen White calls a the child a sharp chastisement those are the words Ellen White used I am assuming it's a slap on the hand which is what almost all parents do to try to teach children not to touch certain things Uh, the child burst into tears and and um didn't know what to make of it, Ellen White said. And Ellen White said to this woman, you do not know what you have done to your child. You have broken its trust. And then she went on to say, if, if a child is taking something that is not suitable for it to play with, offer it something that is. And when the child is attracted to what is suitable, remove the, ta- the object of that from that child uh, i was i was amazed at that whole statement because uh, that's not the ellen that i have read letters that she wrote to her sons that were sometimes pretty strong uh, but this is this was her thinking under inspiration that that uh, wherever possible the parent should use actually the christ-like model of how to gain submission even to a small child. I think a lot of it has to do with um, the illusion of control and that we think we're in control of a person. And actually, regardless of their age, we aren't in control of a person. (laughs) We just aren't, you know. And yeah, you can slap a child's hand, but that doesn't speak to their heart at all. And this whole thing of submitting, again, I think even God, yes, he's in control, but he's not the controller of wanting to control our lives like, you know, like robots or whatever. He wants us to have that full, uh, mature space of being in that space of maturity um, that we choose him to be in relationship And, I mean, even God, you know, who is in control, doesn't want to have that kind of control. Uh, It becomes something else, you know. And so 
Um, well, it changes the relationship. It does. And there's a completely different relationship when you're bonded to someone and you, you love them and you know that they will never hurt you. And unnecessarily, anyway. And I think we're always getting that. We think we're in control of something or someone or whatever, and we're not. And we want to be, or we want it to go our way, or, you know, and that's not a place of humility. No, that's, where, that's where we are in the selfish center. Yeah. Whereas God is always about selflessness mm -hmm. and other-centeredness. And that reminds me of a, the story that I heard somewhere about. It was a parent was driving with their toddler in the, in the car and the, and he kept standing up on the seat and the, um, the parent kept saying, no, you have to sit down. It's not safe stand, you know, and he just kept wanting to stand. And after, you know, several times of telling him to sit down, it pulled over and physically just, Pumped him down, strapped him down, and okay, you know, you have to sit. And they pull back out. Um, you know, the, the toddler turns over and says, well, you, you may have, you know, made me sit on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, you know, and that, and so like Susan was saying, okay, you have, you may have had some measure of control. You've been able to physically force them, but you have not really controlled the part that's really important. And that, that you can't control that and that we have to stop even thinking that we can or, or wanting to and that and coming into this you know, relationship that's based on love, which runs completely counter to the, our, the way that we want to be able to control things for our own convenience or, you know, whatever. I think there's some really good things in the first six verses of the next chapter that may belong in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, why don't we read those? Who wants to read? So the first six chapter, the first six verses? Mm -hmm. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I like what Dr. Daniel says, like salt to whet their appetite for more, but not so much that it makes it too hard to com comprehend or to handle all at once. Yeah, sp sprinkled with insight, that makes mm -hmm. us think of salt, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think it's important to remember that Paul is writing these letters from prison. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever a taste of hierarchy, <laughs> <laughs> the world's kind. Yeah, there, there, there was no doubt where he was in that pecking order. <laughs> exactly. At the bottom, he's beneath a slave now. He's a prisoner. And, and it's, it's interesting that out of that crucible, he gives some of his most sublime messages. But I guess this is that would be the flip side of the little kid that was standing on the inside, whatever it is, that they can imprison his body 
but they cannot imprison his soul. That he's not a prisoner in, 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 in his spirit. Right. Isn't that what Jesus himself said about no. killing the body, but not killing your soul? Yeah. Exactly. Here are those who can kill the body. 